Well, if you let your Bibles just open up to where it would probably naturally open open up in this hour, it would go to Matthew chapter 19. Uh, but I cannot preach from Matthew 19 today. Uh, so we'll come back to that, Lord willing, at a, at a future time. Uh, but we're... We're going today to Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. Perhaps one of the most familiar verses in the Bible, especially for those of us who've been following the Lord for any length of time. Perhaps so familiar that we just kind of shoot it out without thinking too deeply about it. Sometimes God sends you through something where you think more deeply about it. And we know that all things work together for good. And by the way, I, I just to just to piggyback on what we just heard, it's because and maybe I'll say this again in the message, but it's because we know who God is, because of the character of God, because we know that He is good and He's great, that this is true. Okay? And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. To those who are the called according to his purpose. And there's probably no verse in all of Scripture that has brought more encouragement for Christians to keep pressing on in time of trial than this one. Uh, a man by the name of R.A. Torrey, you may have heard of him, he, he said this is a soft pillow for a tired heart. No doubt there are Bibles that bear on this page the tear stains of suffering saints. And brethren, we certainly need the reminder of truth this verse brings to our minds. We don't need to just push it away as a familiar tune. Everything's going to be alright. Everything's going to be alright. There's nothing in this verse for you to do. There's something for you to know, and there's something for you to be assured of. The promise in this verse isn't for everyone. We don't just throw this out with a blanket shot. Well, we might do that because we don't know who all necessarily it does apply to. So we might throw it out like that. But I want you to know it is not for everyone, but it is unreservedly for those who love God and those who are the ones that are called according to His purpose. To those who love God. Of course, you know, these are the ones that were first loved by God, right? We love God because He first loved us. In fact, it's the Holy Spirit who has convinced you, if you love God, the Holy Spirit has convinced you of God's love for you. Okay? You know what you deserve as a sinner. You, you know that. But that burden of guilt has been lifted through faith in Jesus Christ. You've, while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. You've come to see the, the, the glory in what God has manifested in in particular, in His Son, Jesus Christ. And I know there's so much more to be said about that, but this is not least. 
And so you see with eyes of faith in the cross of Jesus Christ, the great manifestation of of God's love for you. And you're, you're moved in your soul in love for Him. And, and it's not simply because you, you see the outline of the, of the facts. It's because of what the Holy Spirit is producing in you, doing in you, and in me. You love God. This is personal. To those who love God. Not things about God. Not even your, even necessarily what you heard in the last hour or what you might hear in another hour about all that God is. It's, it's more personal than that. And it's not what God can do for you. Although all of that is, it's a pretty big deal. But you love God. God Himself. Your heart is set upon Him. There's a desire for Him. There's a sense in your soul that if you have Him, if you have Him, then relatively speaking, nothing else really matters. That's not to say nothing else matters, but relatively speaking, nothing else really matters. Your soul experiences a sense of grief and sorrow when you do not feel that this God that that you know is is near because you love Him. You love Him. And because you love Him, you're moved in obedience to Him. Obedience isn't just doing because it's the rules. It's, it, it's the reaction of, by the way, I would suggest that you do the rules whether you love them or not. Your life will be better off for it. But that's not what we're talking about here. It's obedience resulting from, from love. Jesus said, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Now, that's not a, a slavish kind of response. That's the response of a heart that loves the one that you're hearing the word. You love him. Just like he said, I delight to do thy will, O God. You understand we're being conformed to his image, as we'll see. And that's what happens with us, right? We delight to do your will, O God. And Paul here is not speaking about degrees of love. We can get hung up on this. He just simply, he just simply says, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. Simply love God. This is the direction of your heart. There isn't a quantity here that's in view. The promise of this text is not dependent upon how much you love God. You love God. That's who you are. There's a quality in you. 
And the question I would ask, is this your heart? Is this, can you say, I do, I, I love God? And if you're saying, I don't know, what does that mean? I, I got a big question mark over you because the Holy Spirit is the one working. And you know if you love God. And if you do love God, Paul's speaking to you. Check that. God's speaking to you. The Spirit of God is speaking to you. And Paul is speaking to those who are the called according to His purpose. This is who the promise is to, to those who are the called according to His purpose. And, of course, these are the ones who love God, right? The called. They're those who have heard and responded in in faith, to His call through the Gospel. And we could turn, I'm not taking time to try to defend all of these statements. They're familiar statements to most of you, maybe not to all of you, but I'll turn to one Scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 23, maybe 22. For Jews request a sign, Greeks seek after wisdom, Wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. And no, no doubt, the crucifixion of Christ was an example showing us something about God, but it was, it, that's not the primary thing it was. The primary thing it was, was the securing of a people for God. We preach Christ crucified. And see, the Jews couldn't get that. The Greeks couldn't get that. What kind of a God, first of all, would do that? Second of all, how's that going to do anything? It just makes no sense. To the Jews, a stumbling block, and to the Greeks, foolishness, but to those who are called. Both Jews and Greeks. Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and then to the Gentiles, to the Greeks. Have you heard and responded to this gospel of Jesus Christ? Which we're not fleshing out today, but have you responded to this gospel? Paul is speaking to you. This call is according to his purpose. It has God's sovereign and definite intention behind it. We might add to that, yes, the goodness of God, but without the sovereign. God. It would just be so much sentimental mush. Which is essentially what you heard in the last hour, I think. This is a promise that fits the purpose of everlasting love. For you, believer. By the way, unbeliever, I'm not just holding a carrot out in front of you this morning. I'm telling you that if you become a believer in Jesus Christ, this is a promise for you. Those who love God are those who are called according to God's purpose. He called you. 
This is important. He called you. He initiated the relationship that you now enjoy with Him. He did that. You didn't love first. He loved first. You didn't call first. He called. You called upon Him. You believed in Him. But I guarantee you, you need to know, He is behind it all. Why is that important? Because if you know that God called you by the gospel because he has a good purpose that he's bringing to pass, guess what? It's going to happen. And, and this does not depend upon you. I've got a lot of deep stuff going on in me. But it doesn't depend upon you. That's fundamental. And it's a fundamental place of peace, I can tell you. So, brother, let's think through the promise here. Let's receive in our souls, maybe in a fresh way today by faith, the promise that fits our God's purpose for us. All things work together for good. Who is working? Well, the text sounds like, I mean, if you just read the text, as it's translated at least in the King James, New King James, and we know that all things work together for good. So, so there really doesn't seem to be a who. I mean, the, su- the subject of the verb is all things. Well, things don't work. Right? There's a, there's a, there's a mind and a, a design behind what is working together. And of course you know who that is. It's God. It's the God we love. The Father who has determined that we be conformed to the image of His Son, verse 29. So, so, the Father, the Son, and who else is in Romans chapter 8? The Holy Spirit is huge in Romans chapter 8. In fact, in the previous verse, now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is. So the Father implied in the one searching the hearts, he knows the mind of the Spirit. They are one, you know, because he, the Spirit, makes intercession for the saints according to the Will of God. And we know. You see the connection? It's not disconnected from the Spirit of God. In fact, the Spirit of God is the one who is personally involved in bringing about the purpose in this world. And to eternal glory. In fact, this is a statement of the hands-on, the hands-on work of God in the lives of His people. Believer, whatever touches you, whatever touches you, God has something to do with it. And He intends good from it. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. How are all things working together? There's mystery here. Events in our lives, though, it's important to think about this. 
are not isolated, disconnected, random happenings. But they are a part of God's design to lead to good. Now, not all is good. Can we agree on that? There's some absolutely rotten, evil, wicked things that confront us in our lives. But all is working together for good. And so each isolated event, good or bad, is woven together by the providential working of God to accomplish His good purpose. You know, there are things in our lives, maybe you're encountering some of that even now in your life. I mean, I I think of David and Hannah. I, I thought of a number of people as I'm preparing this message. And there are things in our lives that seem senseless and perhaps even cruel. Right? That's the reality. But when we see those things, you can't see them in the flesh, but when we see those things as part of the whole design, and really, don't get so hung up on the design, come back to the designer. Because if you're focusing on the design, you can get all kinds of confused. But if you keep your mind and heart focused upon the designer, we can say in faith, and we will eventually see. I mean, faith sees. Hebrews 11, right? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. But that seeing is not the same thing as actually possessing, you know, there's going to come a day when faith will no longer be faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest faith and hope are going to pass away. But that's where we're living that way now. We're walking by faith, not by sight. Remember Joseph, we've looked at, we've been in Genesis. And listen, providence is one of those things that's not easy to interpret going through it. In fact, I would suggest you I would suggest you not try. Well, I believe this is why God is doing it. I think maybe you ought to wait till after the whatever the event or trial is, the hard thing you're going through. Wait till the other end. Keep following, walking in the light. Wait till the other side and look back and say, ah, ah. But going through it, you can still know that all things Working together for good. Joseph, he looked back over the 13 plus years of hardship and evil that occurred before he ascended to second in command in Egypt. And this is what he concluded. And you know these verses. This is so familiar. Well, I started, I'll say it. Man, they sure helped me. And God sent me before you. Oh no, Joseph, God wouldn't do that. What you experienced was really rotten and evil. That was the devil who did that. Joseph didn't see it that way. Nor should we. As the people of God, God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by great deliverance. It is interesting that Joseph didn't say those things while he was going through it. 
He said it on the other side. And then he said this, It was not you who sent me here, but God. Joseph was not bitter toward his conniving brothers who hated him. Bitterness is an awful thing. But understanding this truth here will help you not allow it to settle into your spirit. He told his fear-stricken brothers after the death of their father in Genesis 50 verse 20, but as for you, you meant evil against me. By the way, the devil means evil against you too. And so when Joseph said what he said or when we say what we say, But God is ordering these things. We're not saying there aren't secondary causes. We're not saying there aren't instruments and one is the devil and one is one is it could be a number of things. But God God doesn't have his hands tied behind his back watching and oh, I wish that hadn't happened to you, my child. But nothing I can do about it. Work it out. It's not our God. But he said to his fear-stricken brothers after the death of their father, but as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. For good. In order to bring it about as it is this day, to save life, to save many people alive. It's God's purpose. Something good for His people. Octavius Winslow said this, on the subject of the providence of God, the mechanism of providence is made of so many parts as often to baffle the comprehension of man. Yet all is clear to the eye and under the sovereign hand of Him who works it. Now again, the sovereign hand of Him who works it. Who is Him? If you know Him, this is good news. And when we are lost in the bewilderments of a history that we cannot scan. When we are entangled among the mazes of a labyrinth that we cannot understand. It is well to be told that all is ordered and that all worketh for good because of Him who is working it. You see. So what is the good that God is working? Because good is the goal, right? Good is the goal of God's purpose. And we know that all things work together for good. That's the purpose to those who love God, who are the called according to His purpose. It's for us, brothers and sisters in Christ. And those of you who will be brothers and sisters in Christ, guess what? I was talking to my mother-in-law and she's talking about 90 years of her life and and looking back, and, and she can look back now and see God's hand in her life. Not after she believed, but before she believed, you see. And some of you, I've heard you testify that you know, God could have, could have said, your days are numbered, by the way, and the number was here rather than here. Dan Price, you've said that before. But you didn't die in unbelief. 
Because you love God. You're the called according to His purpose, you see. You haven't always known that. You haven't always loved God. But now you see that. And you can look back and see His hand preserving you all, all the way. From the womb. So what is the good that God is working? Well, it could refer to any result of events in the believer's life that fits the purpose of God. And I, there's nothing wrong with seeing it that way because that's absolutely true. Such as Joseph's exalted position that served to preserve God's people. Such as all the rotten things that occurred in Gary Kopstein's life a number of years ago that that moved all the circumstances to actually bring him here. Some of you remember that, right? And oh, what a blessing it was to this church, wasn't it? Because God was ordering things. Good, generally speaking, is really whatever God is accomplishing for us and for His glory. That really is what the good is. Anything. But in this context, it seems the good is primarily, verse 29, being conformed. For, for whom He foreknew. See, the for is a connecting word there in verse 29. For whom He foreknew. Loved. He loved. He foreloved. He loved first, Right? Whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Incrementally in this life, we're being conformed to the image of his son. Ultimately, glorified together with Him. Verse 30, that's the last link in the chain. These He glorified. And earlier, look back at verse 16. For you see, I, and this is so important because sometimes when we think of the goodness of God or we think about God relating to us, we have this question about suffering. How does suffering fit into all of this? But it does fit into it. Suffering is part of the all things preparing us. Actually, not only preparing us for future glory, but, but working conformity in our lives here in this life. But it's, there's an ultimate end to it. Look, let's read it. Romans 8, 16 through 18. For the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. That's fundamental right there. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. So far, we, we like this. It's sounding good, right? If indeed we suffer with Him. In order that, the word that there, it's a, it's a purpose clause. In order that we may also be glorified together. In other words, we're joined with Him in this life which involves suffering, and we will be joined with Him forever, glorified. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not 
worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. I think it's interesting that Paul says, I consider that the sufferings, and I don't want to make too much of that, but he does say it. He does write it that way. Because I think maybe, maybe Paul understands, this is what I have come to see. It's kind of like, I've, I've learned to be content, you know. Not, not all of my fellow believers have learned this. Not all of my fellow believers are going to see what I'm saying here. Maybe that's something in the mind of Paul by the Holy Spirit leading him to write this. I consider, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Brethren, that, that's uncomfortable. It, it, it really is uncomfortable because it's like something's happening now with the hope of something, something happening later. And in the present, it's very uncomfortable. There's a struggle. But this is true. We need the Spirit of God to help us to embrace what Paul is, what God is saying. What, that suffering. We're not going to eliminate suffering, brothers and sisters in Christ. We're, we're not. We can preach till we're blue in the face about whatever we want to preach about, and we're still going to experience suffering. And so it's best that we have a, a, a God-given view of what this suffering is. What's it about? And the Spirit is teaching us that there is something being accomplished and we need to, so that we can embrace suffering knowing that it fits God's purpose for us. But please, oh please, and you're going to have to, this is going to be a trial of your faith. Maybe I'm jumping ahead here and saying this, but this is a trial of your faith because you're going to question the goodness of God in your suffering. And if all of you know, and I'm speaking from my own experience here, but so maybe, maybe I shouldn't speak from my own experience, but looking back, I can tell you that knowing that God is sovereign didn't help me a whole lot when I was in my deepest place of suffering. Because my mind was attacked this way. Well, then you could make it different. So I'm questioning whether you're really good. And you know, I've told you this before. Gary Kopstein would on a regular basis say, God is good. And I knew it. I could confess that, right? I could say that's a statement of faith. I did not see it. I did not feel it. It was not there. You see. And I don't believe God wants us to disconnect. I think He wants us to actually, in our suffering, to lean in and to actually discover something about Him that we have not known as deeply as we know after the suffering. Job. I know there are other reasons and there are other purposes. This isn't a full elaboration on this subject. But I wanted, this is important. I used to read, because see, it's almost like, I used to read this passage in Romans 8 about the suffering and if indeed we suffer with Him that we, and I'm thinking, 
I've never had a, a whip across my back. I've never had anybody punch me in the face. It makes me kind of wonder about some of the kinds of preachers I've seen before. Maybe that's what they're trying to get. Maybe they're trying to rile people up so that they will physically attack them so that they can say, I'm suffering with Jesus. As if, as if the suffering is all physical. As if the suffering is primarily physical. And this hit me. It's hit me within the last week or two. That suffering is far more than what happens to you physically. If you're a follower of Christ, you have experienced internal emotional suffering that is intense. Not just because you're alive and are a human being, but because you're a follower of Christ. You're a lover of Christ. You're a lover of God. And there have been attacks that have come against you that are internal. Paul, who did have the marks, he said, I bear on my body the marks. He had the marks, didn't he? But do you remember him saying he despaired even of life? Despaired. And what about Jesus? Was it a a physical suffering there in the garden? Oh, the intensity. And even on the cross, was that really the primary suffering? There was something going on internally. And so it was almost like God blessing me with this revelation. Maybe you knew this already. It's not a revelation to you. But it was a revelation to my soul. I am suffering with you. You know my sufferings. And you're identifying with me. In my sufferings. And so I'm saying that everything happening in my life, in your life as a believer, some of which seems, and it's those things that happen in your life that create that internal agony. Is that true? The circumstances of life. That's why when I'm sorry, David and Hannah, if I'm talking about y'all too much, but My concern when I talk to them is, how are you doing? I'm concerned about Ellie. Please don't misunderstand. Yes, I am. I pray for her. What kind of suffering are you going through as you accompany your child? Right? There's something internal going on. And sometimes it seems... Beloved, some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you may not yet if you're a believer. Maybe you never will. I don't know. I'm not saying everybody has to understand this to be a child of God. But it seems sometimes that the things that happen in our lives are intended to knock us out of the Christian life. But if we're understanding what God is saying to us in His Word, we can know that those things are in fact guaranteed to work together for good. Which is conformity to the image of Jesus Christ. 
and ultimately eternal glory with Him. And I understand that conformity to the image of Jesus Christ can be fleshed out more. I'm not going to do that here. When is it working together? When are these things working together? What's the answer? Oh, that's it's a present tense verb. And we know that we, we are knowing it's something it's it's something that's always happened. We know that all things are work. You could say are working together. It's, it's, it's happening every day, day after day, moment by moment. You see, it's happening. Whatever you are presently facing, you can rest assured, is part of God's grand plan and purpose. Now, that's hard to imagine sometimes, isn't it? Depending on what you're going through. It's difficult to emotionally grasp this truth. There are times where it feels like the wind is knocked out of us. I told you, was it last week? Whenever it was recently, I said, if you're limping along, what did I say? Keep limping. And understanding the promise of God, who God is and the promise that He is making will help you to keep limping until... Until the fracture is set, until the restoration of healing in your soul. Return to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. A return to your rest sounds like you've kind of gotten separated from it, right? And suffering can do that. We need the Spirit to bring this truth into clear focus to our souls. We do. Your flesh is not going to do it. Your flesh is not going You can think. You can quote a verse all day long. You can listen to sermon, podcasts, read books. You need the Holy Spirit. And, and, and I don't want that just to be a doctrinal point. I'm, I'm saying you really need the Holy Spirit. Father. I need you. I need your spirit. In this moment. So though all may seem troubling and out of order and no good purpose being served by the trials and sufferings of your present circumstances, God's government is sure. He is. He is working all things for good. All things. For good. This is a promise. It's a promise without boundaries. It's a promise without limitations. Just like the one who makes it. It's not just the precious promises of a book. It's the precious promises of a God. Who loves you. Child of God. And I know... Listen, it's not limited to hard things here. But in the context, it seems like that is the idea. I mean, even down in verses 35 and 36, Paul says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then he lists these things. And those are hard things he lists there. 
along with the suffering that he's already talked about in the verses we read earlier. This is not easy for us to embrace. You know, we're sometimes like Jacob. He said to his sons, you've bereaved me. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. And you want to take Benjamin. All these things are against me. Were all those things against him? No. And he found that out, but he didn't know it as he was going through it. And can't it feel that way? All these things are... Surely, all things does not mean... All things. Surely doesn't mean what I'm facing right now. I see no hope of anything good coming out of what I'm going through right now. Are any of you thinking that way? I'm not going to tell you you're not born again. I'm going to tell you, look unto Jesus. I'm going to tell you, look unto this God who is promising. Because you see, your faith is being tried. It's being tested. You see, our flesh, what does our flesh prefer? When things are really rotten, when we're going through something really bad, our flesh, and you know it, you've been there, our flesh prefers pity. Our flesh prefers resentment as we focus on the difficulty. And we lose sight of God because we're focused on what's happening. And we, we can even say things like, with God, if you wanted me to focus on you, why did you let this happen? You know, we, we can start arguing that way. That's the flesh. Or maybe fiery darts. Right? And they're real. And if you haven't had them, well, you know, praise the Lord. But if you have, or if you are, or if you will, come back to this bedrock truth that God blesses us with about Himself and about the way He works. It is our God whom we love, whom we know, the Lord of heaven and earth, the Lord of hosts. He's over it all. Who is good? He's committed to His own glory in fulfilling His covenant love promise to you. You understand that His glory depends upon Him carrying through with His covenant promise to you. Do you believe that? Do you see that? His glory depends upon His carrying through with His covenant promise to you, His children. Therefore, He cannot fail. Cannot fail. Throughout history, God's people have been the lowliest and seemingly most fragile of all. Still true. Noah was mocked by all who saw him building an ark. But God promised. The God that Noah knew. God promised. And Noah believed God. Moses was weak with no... Great personal gifts. Right? How am I going to do this? I can't be a leader. I can't do this. But God promised. And in faith, He followed. Abraham and Sarah were physically incapable of reproduction. But God promised. And they believed. Even though it seemed like it would never happen. And even though Abraham tried to circumvent 
get ahead of God. We can all relate to that. Brethren, God has promised and we must believe Him. And when I say we must believe Him, as if that's some sort of we must believe Him. No, that's a place of sweetness, of rest. He said. He wants you to know that He is weaving all the events of your life together for good. He wants you to know that. There are many things we do not know. Including perhaps what to pray for as we ought, as the previous verse says. Verse 26, wasn't it? But this we know. This we know. All things work together for good to those who love God. To those who are the called according to His purpose. All things work together for good. May God the Holy Spirit keep reminding our souls of this truth. Did you hear how I said that? I mean, good grief. Is it okay to say good grief in the pulpit? I mean, good grief. I've known that verse since I was... I started memorizing verses when I was single digits. But I haven't known the truth of that verse all my life. And when I came to understand the truth of that verse, I'd forget it. Right? And you had to be taught over. That's the course of this life on our journey. So I'm saying to you, may the Holy Spirit keep reminding our souls of this truth so that we might live with a settled peace and contentment in whatever circumstances of life we find ourselves in. Assured that He's leading us along. He is leading us along. And it may not be He's leading you in the same path that you were on before. It may be a redirection of your path. But He's leading. He's doing something. Where's it headed? It's headed to that to which He has called us. Was it First Peter chapter 5? He has called us to eternal glory. That, that's the ultimate destination. By the way, that's not just a place. That's being with Him forever. In that glorious communion and fellowship. In Christ, with Christ. Whom we will see. I presume be able to touch and in Him, the Father and the Spirit will be made known to us as well. There's some mysteries there. That's our hope. And everything will be right. And we'll look back upon this life and we'll say, now I understand. Now I understand. And you know when we see each other on the other side, we're going to look at one another. I heard this recently and I thought it was good. So I'm repeating it. I don't remember who said it. But we're going to look at each other on the other side. And we're going to say, somebody asked me, will we know one another like we knew one another here? I said, when we see each other, I'm going to say, you sure look a whole lot better than what I remember. And you know what that person's going to say in return? I was thinking the same thing about you. 
Let us stand together.